ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. And there's the Olympics coming up and would love to be a part of that and to represent, to bring, you know, what this city has to the table, what this country has to the table, to the world stage. Um, that would be a huge honour. That's Fontaine Lariba, a.k.a. Fonce. What you're hearing there is garden variety Olympic dream rhetoric. Talk to any of the Australian athletes trying to qualify for the Paris Games. You'll probably hear something similar. The difference with Fonts is she's competing in an event that many Aussie fans might argue is not a sport. The inclusion of breakdancing at the Paris Olympics, uh, it divided opinions. Today we're going to hear from the competitors training in shopping centres and urban spaces as they strive to open people's minds to breakdancing and get corporate and government bodies to open their wallets to fund the dream. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Tom Maddox is a reporter for ABC Sport. Based in Melbourne, he has penned an excellent article on the breakdancing scene in Australia and its road to the Paris Olympics. Maddox, I reckon there's a chunk of our audience (laughs) who are asking a couple of questions that I'm going to pose Mm. to you. Number one, you know, what do you mean breakdancing is in the Olympics? (laughs) Two, how is that? Three, why is that? Yeah, it's a great question, and um, it will really go to the the tension in the scene between breakdancing as a form of culture and an art form and breakdancing as a sport and something that includes athletes. If you cast your mind back to late 2020 and the uh, International Olympic Committee announced that it would include a number of sports in Tokyo and in Paris next year. So we had those amazing scenes, Stacky, of those young skateboarders in Tokyo absolutely ripping it up and supporting each other. We had sport, the sport of climbing included in Tokyo for the first time. Breakdancing will be included in Paris 2024, mid-next year for the first time, and it's hugely exciting. It's something that some people in the scene didn't expect. It was something that was put forward by the Dance Sport Federation, which is a a ballroom organisation. But there is precedent. The Youth Olympics in Buenos Aires a few years ago did include breakdancing. It went off. Apparently, it was a huge success. So people all around the world, breakdancers all around the world, are preparing to send a b-boy and a B-girl, hopefully, to Paris next year. And let's get into the Australian part of that perspective. What's the Australian breakdancing scene like? How big is it from a participation standpoint? Do we have a wealth of talent who are ready to compete and contend in Paris? And where is the sport at in Australia? Well, I met a bunch of breakers who are working so hard to get to Paris next year. And I think what they want people in the public to know is that you know, it's much more than just dancing, getting up and dancing. Uh, there's strength and conditioning work and flexibility required. You know, conditioning, uh, stamina training, uh, ensuring my, I'm looking after my body, flexibility, cardio. It's a whole regime and I don't think people really uh, understand the level of dedication it takes to excel in breaking. Not the least courage, Stacky, because these guys are throwing their heads first at a slab of concrete. It's not very forgiving if it doesn't turn out. So these guys uh, are sticking to rigorous training regimes weekly, 
relatively speaking, the the standard in Australia, it's very competitive, but nations like Tokyo, European nations are really leading the way and have led the way for some time in this scene. So the, the community of breakers in Australia is relatively small. There's a scene in Melbourne and in Sydney and in other cities as well. There's a young teenage breakdancer who's in Queensland, I believe, who will have a crack at Paris next year. So uh, there is a bunch of guys who are working working really hard, but you know uh, they need a regional event to to qualify for Paris. Before we get into that regional event, can you just tell me about some of the athletes you've interviewed for your story? Maybe paint us a picture of some of the bigger names in the sport in Australia. I spoke to Dr. Rachel Gunn. So I'm uh, Dr. Rachel Gunn, uh, and I go by the breaking name of Ray Gunn. Which I think is awesome. Uh, And she is uh, an academic who researches the breaking history and culture and gender in breaking at Macquarie University in Sydney. But she's also Australia's top-ranked female B-girl. Got this really interesting style. It's very creative. And we spoke to her at this all-style dance event at the community centre in Redfern in Sydney where um, she danced and competed and, uh, you know, we had a chat to her about how she's working really hard for Paris next year. It is absolutely huge that breaking is going to be in the Olympics for the first time in Paris next year. I mean, it's not something that breakers ever expected. We also spoke to someone by the name of Fonts, Fontaine Lariba. She's an osteopath by day in Melbourne and then a B-girl at night. She's also working super hard to try and qualify for Paris. I guess, like everyone, it's a dream. Being a professional athlete is something I've always wanted Um, and so this is a great reason to really go for it to take myself seriously um, and for other people to take me seriously as well and really kind of push the body and the mind as far as I can. Australia wants to send a b-girl and a b-boy so really Fonts and Raygun are competing for that b-girl spot to go to uh, the games next year. There's been no shortage of commentary in recent times about our Olympic athletes struggling with funding at a period of Australian life where cost of living is making things pretty hard for everyone. What's the situation like for breakdancing athletes as they try to qualify for the Paris Games? Yes, because it's a fledgling sport, Stacky, uh, there is quite a lot of unknown and uncertainty as the breaking scene tries to get to Paris. So the Australian Breaking Association, which was built from the ground up by a guy by the name of Louis Naplan, he's the president of the ABA, and he is really spearheading this quest. The Australian Breaking Association, we all got together trying to want to do something as opposed to not doing anything. The problem is they need to host a regional event event for the Oceania region to be able to qualify for Paris. They want to host that in Sydney, but what's required is a complex judging system. We have to fly uh, a number of, you know, I think 10 or 11 international judges over to Australia. The costs are huge for this competition, and that's just because of the complexity of breaking. It requires a certain amount of judges. It requires a complex judging system. That's costly. They need roughly about $200,000. And for guys who are doing this uh, off their own bat, uh, that's not a small amount of money. And we're still quite young and new, especially to this kind of uh, business aspect. So it is quite difficult to try and organise this, to try and find a uh, corporate sponsor to cover the costs. There is hope. They're in talks with a corporate sponsor to, to help out, but 
it's a bit up in the air. And without that regional championship, Stacky, uh, their chances of getting to Paris are really difficult. Uh, it's still not confirmed whether Oceania will have a qualifier. And if we don't have a qualifier, there's a good chance that no one from this region will represent at the Paris Olympics. Otherwise, more broadly speaking, they really do need more support. The Australian Olympic Committee has provided a small amount of funding to Australia's breakers and has really encouraged them to apply for help from sporting bodies, sporting bodies like Sports Australia and the Dance Sport Federation. The AOC has said that it had lobbied the federal government on behalf of these fledgling sports like breakdancing that receive no cash. So it is difficult for the breakdancers and, and as I say, so much hinges on someone stepping in to help them out so they can host this regional qualifier. You touched on the role of the AOC. Obviously, that's a big governing body, a lever that could be potentially pulled by the breakdancing community. Do they feel like they're being adequately supported by the AOC? I put that question to them and they said that while there is some amounts of support from the AOC, they would like to see a little bit more support. The AOC has told me that they uh, are really keen on the breakdancers and getting Australia's breakdancers to Paris and that 100 days out, uh, which is coming up soon, that they will put the breakdancers front and centre of their pitch and their publicity uh, ahead of Paris next year. But more broadly speaking, Stacky, the breakdancers in Australia feel that they don't really get the respect from the public. You know, being even taken seriously would be nice. We're here, we're outside in a public space. We're still training on the concrete. (laughs) Uh, It would be nice to have a dance studio. It would be nice to be recognised and not just laughed at. Taken seriously would be great. I think that even if the breakers reach Paris and we're all crossing our fingers for them because they are working so hard, there is a a bigger battle here, I think, to gain the respect and recognition from the, the broader community. Just one final one from an AOC perspective. Should they be investing in this sport when they've obviously got a raft of sporting organisations clamouring for funds? Is it not their duty to back the sports that have highest participation, the best chance of returning medals, if you're looking at it from a pure uh, return on investment perspective? It's a really pertinent question at the moment, Stacky, and will become increasingly so as we uh, gear up for Paris. But the AOC would say that they do support these smaller sports as they um, you know, try and establish themselves. And they would say that it's not in their remit to provide funding to the sports. It's actually up to the sporting bodies who hold all the cash to provide these sports. So that's really their standpoint. Tom Maddox, thanks so much for stepping us through the wild world of breakdancing. My pleasure. It's super exciting. Headlines. Miami has made history in the NBA, becoming the first eighth seed to reach the finals since New York in 1999. The Heat led their series with the Celtics 3-0 before losing three straight and facing a do-or-die game seven in Boston. Celtics star Jason Tatum rolled his ankle early in the clash and was never quite right. But Miami, they were clearly superior, running out 19-point winners. Jimmy Butler top-scored with 28 They'll next play Denver for the NBA championship. The Chennai Super Kings have won their fifth IPL championship as they accounted for the Gujarat Giants. It came down to the final two balls with Chennai needing 10 runs to win. Ravindra Jadeja went 6-4 to ensure the Super Kings and their revered 41-year-old skipper MS Dhoni claimed the title. Last ball. Oh, 
Jadeja. Never bet against MS Donnie and CSK. The Tata IPL champions of 2023. Our CSK for the fifth time. At the French Open, Alex Dimonor moved into the second round as he knocked over Ilya Avashka in four sets. Fellow Australians Chris O'Connell and Alexi Popperin weren't so fortunate. They won one set between them in their opening round defeats. And Tim's used world title fight is in doubt after he was hospitalised from a cut to his arm. He required surgery and the expected recovery time will make it hard for him to be ready for his world title defence in three weeks' time. The reason for the cut is presently unknown. Mysterious. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Poppy Penny. Thanks to Fox Sports for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.